Today's sermon comes from Ruth 2:18 through 3:18. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, "Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you." So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, "The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz." And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, "My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do." And she replied, "All that you say, I will do." So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, "Who are you?" And she answered, "I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer." And he said, "May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you." Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, "Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor." And he said, "Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out." So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, "How did you fare, my daughter?" Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying. These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, "You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law." She replied, "Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today." It was 2003. I was leading a mission trip with high school students to Bordeaux, France, in the Pyrenees Mountains. And we took a team of high school students, and we met up with a team of French high school students from a church there, or or in that community. And most of those students from France were not believers. And the purpose of the trip is that we were going to take、uh, our high school students, those French students, go on a week-long backpacking trip in the Pyrenees Mountains, and over a week,、um, share the gospel, relationally share the gospel with these students. Turned out to be quite a trip.、Uh, One of the female leaders from the American side that I was leading,、uh, adult leaders, 
Um, she came down very early on on this backpacking trip with a condition that I don't know the name of it. Maybe some of you doctors, as I describe it, might figure it out. But basically, she would get um, a sort of panic attack that would cause her to stop breathing. And, her, and she would start to, to turn blue. And, and she'd come out of it. It was very scary. And so the, uh, one of the French church leaders called one of his congregants or someone he knew as a doctor and explained the symptoms. And uh, he prescribed a very simple but very profoundly effective solution. And that is when she felt this coming on, she would start to breathe into a paper bag. And it would keep her from getting to that point. Now, you can imagine we're on a backpacking trip. We all have backpacks that are probably around 40 pounds or so with supplies and tents and anything strenuous to her would, would make this come on so she couldn't carry her backpack. So guess who carried her backpack? Yes, I did. Um, and so through this probably four or five days in the Pyrenees Mountains, I have my pack on my back that's about 40 pounds. And then I had her pack uh, hanging on my front that was about 40 pounds. It did balance me out a little bit, but it's probably, I'm guessing, one of the things that tipped off my herniated disc a couple of months ago, maybe in 03, that's where it began as I walked through the Pyrenees Mountains with her backpack the whole way. I literally, physically carried her burden. I literally lightened her load. I took the, the backpack off her back and I put it on me and I made my load heavier. When we talk about bearing burden, what we're talking about is a burden, which is a heavy load. That's the definition of it. Physical, emotional, spiritual. A burden is a heavy load. Bearing a burden is carrying some part of that load. What we have here in Ruth chapter 3 is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to bear someone's burden. You've got Boaz, who is an Israelite, a man of God's people, who bears the burden of Ruth, who's a foreigner, an outsider, not part of the community of Israel. And he bears the burden of Naomi, who is an Israelite. She is a part of the community of Israel. And this man, Boaz, bears their burden. And what we've seen in this, this sermon series on Ruth is you have this outsider, this woman, Ruth, who starts off as a foreigner. And by the end of Ruth, she is a mother of Jesus. She is a critical person in the uh, redemptive story of God. You say, how did that happen from outsider to follower of Yahweh, follower of the Lord, mother of Jesus? And the answer is the mercy and kindness of God's people, namely of Boaz. Now, while this is a series that is very missional, and you've seen that, because it's a book about an outsider that becomes a follower of Christ through the mercy of God's people. So we're talking about our neighbors, those we know that need to, to receive the mercy and kindness of God's people, I also want you to see that this is also a picture of what it looks like to bear someone's burden within the body. We've looked at entering a neighbor's sorrow. We've looked at seeking a neighbor's good. We've looked at becoming a neighbor's refuge. Now we're looking at bearing a neighbor's burden. That is all stuff that happens within the body of Christ, not just out, but within. Acts chapter two, the early church Everything we're discussing here is what was happening in the early church. And what's it say at the end of that account in Acts chapter two? 
the Lord added to their number daily, right? So we see mission happening through community as we bear one another's burdens and those outside look in and say, this is amazing. I want in on that. And as we bear the burdens of our neighbors who are in need of refuge. So how do you bear your neighbor's burdens? Let's begin with embracing the reality of burden. Now, let me explain this. I'm gonna talk about Ruth and Naomi. I'm gonna go broader to the story of the Bible, and then I'm gonna bring it home to today. Why, is, why do we need to talk about embracing the reality of burden? Well, if you look at Ruth and Naomi, they are clearly burdened. They've lost their husbands. They've lost much of their protection and their security and their provision. They're on their own. Uh, Ruth, when she leaves Moab and comes back to Bethlehem with Naomi, is choosing to leave behind that last bit of protection and provision, her family, and Moab to come to a foreign place. And then Naomi, when she gets back and she's living on the land that her deceased husband Elimelech owned that she can't pay for, she's experiencing burden. And so what you have is a picture of Ruth and Naomi needy, helpless, needing someone to help them. They are burdened. Now, let me broaden to the bigger story of the Bible because this sets within it. We were not meant to burden one another. Okay, Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve were not a burden to one another. They joined one another in this amazing uh, privilege of cultivating the wonderful world that God had given them. But as soon as Genesis 3 hits and sin enters the world, burden comes with it. And we see very quickly in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve become a burden to one another. Their marriage becomes a burden. Broadened to Israel, God chooses a people to, to start with to redeem the world, and Israel becomes a burden. Right? As they, as they go to the various places their sin takes them, they need deliverance. They need rescue. They need food and water in the desert. When they get into the promised land, they start making treaties with enemy nations. They need deliverance from nations around them that have them enslaved. They need deliverance from their idolatry. And you move to the New Testament, what does Jesus do? He comes in and in the gospels, he bears the burden of those around him. And you could even argue that Jesus becomes a burden. He needed food. He ate at other people's tables. He needed to be buried. And so the point I'm making is that outside the Garden of Eden in a world broken by sin, burden is a reality. Now, why do I start here? Why do I start here? Because I can't tell you the number of times that I have heard it said and I've said it myself. I don't want to be a burden on someone. Have you said that? Of course you have. Or... I don't want to ask for help because I don't want to what? Burden that person. Or I don't want to receive help or accept help when they offer it because I don't want to burden them. Now, on the surface, that seems incredibly thoughtful. But if you'll give me a chance, I'm going to show you how that's incredibly selfish. Galatians 6.2 says this. Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. That means that when you don't 
burden someone or, or refuse to receive help or ask for help because you don't want to burden someone, you are stealing from them the joy and the blessing of them fulfilling the law of Christ, the sacrificial law of love to help you to bear your burden. So before we jump into this, I want to say, be a burden. Be a burden to each other. Don't deny the fall. Don't deny Genesis 3. You know, we talk about friendship. Listen, the, the essence of friendship is not pretending that we're not a burden to each other. That's not the essence of friendship. I'll go a step further. That's not the essence of gospel community. Right? That we have to embrace the reality of burden. That we are burdened to one another because we're in a broken and sinful world. And for us to embrace that and not hinder the Lord's work at building gospel community because what will hinder community is, I've got it. I don't need you. I don't want to burden you, so I'm going to fix it myself. That creates isolation, not gospel community. A beautiful gospel community is born of vulnerability, of transparency, of authenticity. When you've got people that say, I understand Genesis 3, I understand that I'm a burden. <laughs> that we all are to some degree. And to actually embrace that and not deny it and not pretend that it's not there. Okay, so how do you bear your neighbor's burdens? One, you embrace the reality of burden, that that is a reality of our broken world. Now, number two, by taking on burden. Bearing someone's burden means two things. It means that you first have to take on a heavy load and that then you lighten their load or alleviate their burden. And you see in the story that Boaz does both. He, he takes on burden and then he alleviates burden. Now let's start with taking on burden. How do we see Boaz do this? Now, to understand the burden that Boaz takes on in redeeming Ruth, you have to understand what's happening in the story. Now, many people have tried to uh, G-rate this story, make it G-rated. Uh, so that it can pass, focus on the family's plugged-in movie critique and review. Um, this is not a G-rated story, okay? Uh, this is sexually charged. <laughs> it has sexual overtones. It's somewhat scandalous. And, and if you don't embrace that and see it, and I'm going to explain how, then you don't catch the burden that Boaz takes on. Okay, so let me, let me explain it to you. First, you'll see that Naomi understands that Ruth needs more than food. Okay, end of chapter two, beginning of chapter three, Naomi realizes that Ruth needs more than food. She needs a husband. She needs a redeemer. And that's why verse 20 says, the man, speaking of Boaz, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers or our kinsman redeemers. Now, what was a kinsman redeemer in Israel? Well, kinsmen redeemers in Israel would help a relative who needed rescue, would rescue a relative out of poverty, out of danger, um, out, of, out of need. And so there were a number of things that could happen that would take form of this rescue. A kinsman redeemer could purchase property, right, of a relative who has fallen into financial hardship that could not keep the property. And so a kinsman redeemer would come in and purchase it back. Or... 
a redeemer would purchase a, a relative out of slavery. So a relative who came on financial hardship um, that sold themselves into slavery, right, to pay their debt, a redeemer would come in and purchase them out of slavery. Or sometimes a redeemer would actually come in and marry a childless widow to actually give that widow children to carry on the inheritance in the family name. And so what we see here is that Naomi recognizes that Boaz could be a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Now, what we'll see later in the chapter is that Boaz wasn't the nearest relative. He actually wasn't the one that had the legal right to be the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. And this explains why Naomi gives the counsel she does. Okay? If Boaz was the rightful redeemer, she would have said, Ruth, go to Boaz, tell him that he's your kinsman redeemer and to do what he should. Done, simple. But she doesn't do that, does she? What is Naomi's advice? All right, here we go. In verses three and four. Okay, verses three and four. You'll notice in verse three, what does she say? I'll let you read the verse. Let me paraphrase it, okay? Naomi says, Ruth, I want you to wash up. I want you to put on your best clothes, some, some, some nice perfume and some makeup, and I want you to go lie down next to him. Verse four, she actually says, I want you to what? The phrase she uses, Naomi to Ruth, is uncover his feet and lie down. Now, uncover his feet uh, is a euphemism, meaning it, it means something else. In fact, in other parts of scripture, that phrase means something else. And combined with lie down, let me just, I'll spare the details and tell you that this is uh, a sexually charged <laughs> command from Naomi to Ruth, that it has sexual overtones. And you say, well, what in the world is Naomi doing? Uh, is she asking Ruth to seduce Boaz and falling back on the stereotypes of Moabite women? Numbers 25 talks about how the Moabite women, right, uh, 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 led the Israelite men into sexual immorality. And so maybe she's counting on Ruth being a Moabite that, hey, you, maybe you've got the moxie to do this. So I want you to go seduce Boaz, maybe. Or is, is Naomi thinking, uh, we just need to create a very desperate invitation for Boaz to step up and be the kinsman redeemer. Here's the point. Regardless of what Naomi's intentions are, which it's just not clear enough, the ambiguity right, and, and the, the sexual overtones in here, it's important to understand that is what will help us understand the, the load or the burden that Boaz takes on. When, when Ruth goes and she uncovers him and she lies down next to him, and at, in verse eight at midnight, this is middle of the night, says the man was startled and turned over and said, who's this? Well, yes, <laughs> he's startled. It's barley harvest. He's laying by the heap of grain with his other men that have helped him and he turns over and there's a woman next to him. Yes, he's startled. What I want you to see is at that point, the, the burden that Boaz begins to take on himself. And there's a couple of burdens that we see. 
Number one, he takes on an enormous reputation burden. Naomi says to Ruth, I want you to stay back. I don't want you to reveal yourself. I want you to watch to see where Boaz lays down. And then after he's had dinner and, and he goes up and he goes, goes to sleep, then I want you to make your way in in the dark. In other words, the assumption is that Boaz isn't alone. That's why she says, make sure it's Boaz. <laughs> and you get the idea she walks in. I mean, this is, this is like the hayloft in the middle of the night. And, and she walks in and maybe she has to weave around some men and, and she finally gets to Boaz. And here is a man who is a worthy man of Israel that wakes up in the middle of the night with a foreigner, unrecognizable, perfumed and made up lying next to him. You got to feel that. And so he has this, this reputation, his reputation's on the line. You know, sometimes when we find ourselves on mission, you find yourself in situations that can look weird, that can look strange. It's where Boaz finds himself. So there's a reputation burden he takes on. Second, he takes on a moral burden, right? The, 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 the clothes, the darkness, the secrecy, the perfume, the being made up, lying down, all of that speaks to this man, Boaz, waking up to an, an illicit sexual temptation that's in front of him. He takes on a moral burden. Third, he takes on relational burden. He knows as, as Ruth begins to speak to him, and you gotta love what Ruth says, right? Spread your wings over me, you're a redeemer. She makes it very clear she's not looking for, she's looking for marriage. She's looking for a redeemer, okay? She's not looking for a night of passion. She makes that clear. Interesting, she takes a step beyond Naomi, Right, Naomi says, just lie down and don't say anything. Let him do, you know, tell you what to do next. No, Ruth takes a step further and says, I'm here because you're a redeemer and I want you to marry me so you can redeem me and Naomi, right? But the relational burden, if Boaz chooses not to redeem her, then he's basically saying, Naomi and Ruth, you as a burden now fall on someone else in my family. If he chooses to redeem Ruth and doesn't, consult or give the, the rightful legal redeemer who's nearer uh, the right to do it. Now he's got an, uh, something on his hand. So what I want you to see here is Boaz is put in the middle of a very um, dicey relational social situation in the family. And so he takes on that relational burden. And then last, you see, he takes on financial burden, right? In asking Boaz to redeem Ruth, Naomi's saying, Boaz, you need to buy the field of my deceased husband, Elimelech. And it was probably a field that Boaz didn't need. And beyond that, you're gonna take in Ruth and Naomi, me and Ruth and have to financially provide. Think of it as you, uh, you buy someone's house, you move in and you begin to provide for them. That's what Boaz is facing. There's, there's financial burden. So here's the point. To lighten, and we're gonna get to how he lightens Ruth's and Naomi's load and, and, and alleviates their burden. But to get there, he had to first take on tremendous burden himself. And that that's what happens when you bear someone's burden. You have to take on burden yourself, Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what's beautiful about that is fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of sacrificial love that Christ Jesus himself fulfilled for you. Think about Jesus' life in the Gospels. 
Think about the reputation burden that he took on. Think about Matthew 11 when they called him a drunkard and a glutton. The son of glory. God incarnate. And they call him a drunkard and a glutton. He took on a reputation burden, the moral burden, right? He was tempted as we were, yet without sin. The relational burden. How many times in the gospels, especially in John, are there people and groups of people that reject Jesus because he's not doing what they want him to do? And he couldn't please everyone. He took on an enormous relational burden in his gospel ministry. And then, of course, the emotional burden that he took on in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's sweating drops of blood and saying, Father, is there another way? No, your will be done. And then on the cross, as he's hanging there, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Jesus bore your burdens in his life and death and resurrection. And that's why he can say in Matthew eleven thirty, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what Jesus is saying there? I have taken your burden on myself so that now you can fulfill Galatians 6.2, bearing one another's burden. I've lightened your burden. That's the gospel so that you can go take on someone else's burden. So how do you bear your neighbor's burdens? You embrace the reality of burden and we quit pretending that, that we don't have burden and that we're not burdensome. We are, that's the fall, that's sin. Second, we take on burden. But then third, we alleviate burden. And what I want you to see here is how Boaz doesn't just take on the burdens I've spoken of on himself, but then he actually moves to alleviate Ruth's burdens. How does he do it? First, he guards her dignity, right? Look at verse 13. This is beautiful. He doesn't use her. He doesn't exploit her. He guards her dignity. In verse 13, he says, I want you, Ruth, I want you to lie down and I want you to sleep until morning because you're safe here. Right? He guards her dignity as a, as a woman made in the image of God and doesn't use her and doesn't destroy her dignity. Right? That's the first. Second, Boaz praises her. Look at verse 10. He says to her, you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men. Now, what, what's he saying there? Humanly speaking, it would have made sense for Ruth to go after a, a younger man that, that, could, that could definitely provide children for her and therefore significance. And Boaz is saying, no, you didn't just go after the younger man. What she did is she chose Boaz, who was an older man, but a man of character that Ruth knew could not only care for Ruth, but take care of Naomi. And what we see here in Ruth, this outsider who is coming into the kingdom, into the community of God's people, is that she is honoring the vow she made to Naomi when she left Moab. This, this kindness, the word here is hesed. It's the loyal love, that steadfast love. She said, I am, I am going to bear, not, I'm gonna bear Naomi's burdens. And so I'm, I'm choosing you, Boaz, because I know that you're a man of character who can provide for not only me, but for my mother-in-law, Naomi. It's beautiful. And so Boaz sees this and he praises her 
for that selflessness and for, for bearing Naomi's burdens. He builds her up. He esteems her. That's how he alleviates her burden. And then third, you'll note he calms her fears in verse 11. He says, do not fear. Right? Again, I can't emphasize this enough. Ruth put herself in an extremely vulnerable position. Going up into a barn at the grain pile where Boaz was guarding the grain in the middle of the night to lie down next to him, dressed how she was. Extremely vulnerable position. And Boaz says, do not fear. Do not fear. He calms her fears. Tells her to lie down in safety and security till the morning. And then fourth, he protects her reputation. And we see this in verses 13 and 14. And I want you to see how he protects her reputation in two ways. Number one, he volunteers to go speak with the nearer redeemer, the nearest relative. To get her out of a legal situation. I mean, Naomi and Ruth could have gotten in some, some trouble within the family that they went to Boaz and not to the rightful legal redeemer. And Boaz sees this, and so he volunteers to go talk to this nearer redeemer, right? And then second, you'll note, in the morning, before it got light, he sends Ruth out. Why? He's protecting her reputation. He doesn't want people to see that she had been there because he wants to protect her reputation. He's trying to alleviate her burden. You know, she had taken this huge risk. Boaz's response is, I'm going to alleviate your burden. And he does so in profound ways. So what does it mean to bear your neighbor's burdens? Let me dial this in and let me um, practice a little bit of freedom here on Mother's Day if you'll allow me to hone in on women in this church. And what it means, and I'll, I'll speak, it's beyond women in this church, it's, it's, it's women in your sphere of influence, but I'm gonna speak specifically to some burden that women feel that God has called the body of Christ to bear that burden. Let me start with women who are not married. Women who are not married. Let me just say, you have, we have single women in this congregation who are experiencing a tremendous burden of unmet desires. Women who long to be married, women who want to be married, and who have not yet seen that desire met. And so they are carrying a tremendous amount of burden. And unfortunately, the church can add to that burden rather than take it away. My wife, we got married later. My wife was single in a church for many years. And a lot of it, it's unintentional. But the church can communicate to single women that you're a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. And until you get married, until you have children, okay, you're kind of like a second-class person here. And maybe some of you that, have, that are single have felt that. And let me just say a few things. One, if we as a church have done that, we repent. We ask your forgiveness because you are cherished here. You're a woman of dignity. You're a woman of honor and we esteem you and we honor you and we long to do that. Second, 
women who are married without children, but longing for them. David prayed it in the pastoral prayer. Women who are married, who are longing for children, but struggling with infertility. And let me just back up for a second, because I missed this with single women who long to be married. The way that you alleviate their burden, I mentioned it, but let me get, I want to reinforce it. The way that you alleviate their burden is to praise them, to esteem them. Notice how Boaz does that with Ruth, to esteem them, to, to build them up, right? To enter in with them and build them up as a dignified woman of God in the kingdom of God, okay? Women who are married without children but longing for them, those struggling with infertility. Listen, barren women carry a tremendous, unbelievable amount of burden. Women who desire to have children but for some reason have not been able to have children. They carry a tremendous burden. How do you alleviate the burden of a barren woman? How do you alleviate the burden of a barren woman? You weep with her. You just grieve with her. You enter in with her. You know, sometimes the temptation is, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna walk away or ignore that, that woman because I, I don't know what to say. Maybe you've never actually struggled with infertility. You don't know what to say. Uh, you don't have words. You don't have an answer. So because you don't have an answer, you tend to just kind of, I, I'm just gonna move away. Listen, a barren woman doesn't need answers. There's no answer you can give. They just need a hug. They need an embrace. They, they need you to weep with them. They, they need to know that you're with them in it. That's it. You don't have to say anything. Just a hug to alleviate their burden. Finally, let me address women who are married with children. We have a lot of children in this church. We have a lot of women who are mothers of young toddlers who are carrying a tremendous amount of burden as a mother. Right? Mothers of young children, you have um, tremendous load on you. And so I wanna speak to you, not from me, but from a mother, okay? Uh, this is Nancy Ortberg. She wrote an article back in uh, early 2000s called um, Dr. Jekyll and Mama Hyde. You probably see where this is going. So let me read to you a little excerpt from that article. When I became a mother, I found a Jekyll inside of me. For the first time, there was a person in my life whom I loved more than I loved myself. I was doing unselfish things because I wanted to. I was becoming a patient and kind, calm, reasonable, generous, thoughtful, loving person. I thought, this is a good thing, this person who is emerging. I loved being a mom. But then there's another person who comes out sometimes when I am a mom, a person I don't know. And I want to say, who is she? How can I make her go away? At one time, I had a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and an infant. I woke to the fussy baby. He clung to me like a baby monkey hangs onto its mother and would not let me put him down. While Johnny was clinging to me, my toddler was unwinding the toilet paper and making designs in every room of the house. She also took all the books off of the shelves and started tearing pages out of them. While this was going on, my three-year-old was begging me to play Candyland. I hate Candyland. There was a mound of dirty laundry threatening to suffocate me. There was no food in the house. I had to go to the grocery store. At the grocery store, I had a baby clinging to me. 
a toddler in the grocery cart, my other one running up and down the aisles, and the grocery cart was so full, I had to kick the pad of diapers down the aisle. In the toilet paper section, I fought to hold back the tears as I thought, what am I doing with my life? Look at me. Back home, I unloaded the groceries, fixing lunch while the ice cream melted. Then I took the kids to the park before rest time. A park with three children is not fun. I kept counting. One, two, three. I came with three. I've got to leave with three. By the time I got home, I hated myself. I put them in their rooms and shut the doors. Of course, none of them slept. And I went into the garage and I cried. I just thought I was going to lose my mind. I felt like I was becoming an impatient, frazzled, rude, angry, frustrated mom. And I was splitting into two people. Not all moms are like that. I know moms who are patient and kind towards their children almost all the time. I admire them. I don't like them, but I admire them. <laughs> that is not me. And she goes on to say this. And God does something amazing by telling you that he loves you even with that hide creature living inside of you. Listen, Jesus Christ bears your burden. He bore your burden on the cross at Calvary and he continues to bear your burden today. And when you find that high creature inside of you, he reminds you that he loves you and he bears that burden with you. He doesn't look down on you and tell you to get over it. He understands Jesus Christ sympathizes with our weaknesses and he sympathizes with your weaknesses and he enters in and he speaks love over you and he bears your burden. Christ Church East, the steadfast, pulsating, dynamic, relentless love that God wants to deliver to his people is manifested when you bear one another's burdens as Christ did yours. Let's pray. Father, would you forgive us for pretending that we're not burdens to one another? Would you forgive us for forming friendships that are around that idea. Forgive us for forming gospel community that is around that idea, that we're not burdens, that we, we got this thing figured out. Would you break us of that? Would you give us the freedom to admit, to confess that we are burdens because we live outside the Garden of Eden in a broken world? And Father, as we come to the table this morning, would you remind us that this table is a table of, of burden, the burden, Jesus, that you bore for us on the cross at Calvary. Father, as we take this meal, would you alleviate our burdens? Would you remind us that your son, Jesus, enters in with us to take our burdens? And Jesus, would you remind us through this meal that your yoke is easy and that your burden is light.
We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.